This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. We're talking to Lo De Beer today. He's the Group Compliance Officer at Hope Again Recovery Center. Lo, it's such a privilege to talk to you um, in this first program that we're going to do with you just about your own story. So welcome. We're so happy to have you here with us. Can you tell us a little bit more of your of your story? Yes, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Um, yes, I work at Academy Recovery Center. My journey started a couple of years before. I was a drug addict for 23 years of my life. Um, I was addicted. My drug choice was codeine, something that you can buy over the counter to schedule two medication. A lot of people as Africa's it's a big because you'd be surprised as to how many mm. different age groups and categories. It's actually really scary. Mm. And uh, yeah, my, my, my story started um, back in 1990. I, I mean, I started uh, at the age of 12, I started smoking. At the age of 13, I bought my first uh, pornographic magazine. At the age of 14, I started drinking. Um, you know, we talk about standard one and standard two and standard three back in the day. That was, I started smoking basically in standard three and started drinking in standard six. Mm. Um, by the age I was, I think, about 16 in standard eight, that's the, the year that I also got my life to the Lord, but that's also the, the year that I that I got addicted to, to codeine. Mm. So that so was, in, that was in grade 10 in the newer terms, just for people that are maybe not familiar yes, with the standards, yes. right? That, and, would be, that would be great thing. Okay, and how did, that, how did that happen then? Well, it was, you know, we lived in a place called Sakuna. Um, I really struggled with sinusitis and stuff. Uh, I, was, I was always very athletic. Um, I never used to take any kind of medication or whatever. Um, I mean, by the time I, I got addicted to this stuff, I was drinking and I was smoking. But for, in my mind, that was almost not using drugs. Mm. We were young and we were running around doing stupid stuff. Mm. Um, but we didn't take any kind of medication. And I just got really sick um, in, in, in the winter of uh, 1990. And uh, my mom got me some sinus acid from the chemist. I overused the stuff and it's the first time in my life that I experienced a high, what they call a high. Um, from an opiate, which is exactly the same as heroin. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an opiate family, so it comes from the same type of process and plant. It's just a synthetic opiate. Mm. Uh, I remember the feeling, and from there on, I started experimenting with other stuff. I started experimenting with LSD, with DAPA, uh, ephedrine, uh, the stuff that's in, in, in um, these slimming mixtures, like tins, stuff like that, and then also LSD. Sure. Um, so it, was, it, start, it started off with smoking and drinking and, and that, and then it progressed very quickly. After the first time I had that experience, it progressed very quickly into starting using other stuff. And I mean, you, you, you go out with friends and you party and people talk about that you use this, that you use this. So it's a combination of peer pressure and, and things that you've experienced when you were smaller um, as you were growing up. Mm. So, um, yeah, from, from there on, I was introduced to all kinds of other stuff. Uh, in those days, uh, in 1991, they classified Sakunda as the Satanist capital of South Africa, or the Satanic capital of South Africa, because all these Satanic cousins kept on popping up all over the place. So we were introduced to mysticism, mythology, um, meditation, magic, all kinds of funny stuff. And that was in 1991. Mm. So I don't even know what it looks like today. Mm. And then, yeah, you get introduced to what they call open-minded things. It's got a different um, 
perspective on on religion and spirituality and that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, hi, hello. This is Frederick speaking here. Um, <laughs> good to have you on our uh, on on the program. And um, there, there's a word that I heard you saying is that it progressed very quickly. And uh, we know that is the case for any type of addiction, that there's a progression of severity. Um, in other words, the next time you use whatever, it does not give you the same kick, so you need a little bit more to, to do that. What were the circumstances that you feel uh, your, your coping mechanism or this, this numbing was trying to numb or trying to medicate? The thing that the nine thing for me is when it comes to understanding substance abuse. People don't fundamentally use substances because of the substance itself. They use it because of the emotional brokenness exactly. and the escapism mm. that you were just talking about, the coping mechanism. Mm. So when I experienced that first high, I had already, by the time I was 16, I was bullied in school. So I had an emotional brokenness and I suffered from severe rejection. Mm. I was also doing martial arts and stuff like that to try and defend myself against guys that was bullying me at school. Mm. And, and so the moment that that coping mechanism was introduced into my life, it was something that I've never experienced before. It was very easy for me to latch onto that specific substance because mm. it numbed my emotions yes. and I didn't have to deal with the pain anymore. Mm. So it, is a, it, it, it was a culmination of emotional experiences that had happened to me up until the age of 16. But I only in later years realized that it came from something that happened to me when I was five years old mm. that I didn't have the coping mechanism to deal with. Sure. And that basically dictated my, my experiences and my decisions for 33 years. Yeah. So the moment that it was introduced into my life, it's something that my my body as well as my mind latched onto the addiction. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's exactly how the addictions work. And, um, you know, some people, I say our, our addictions are like a delta at the end of a river. You close off the one delta and it goes on to the next, uh, goes through the next delta. Um, so uh, if you've stopped smoking, it may be drinking. If you stop drinking, it may be the next thing. Um, so, oh, yes. Yeah. Mm. With, with, with me, because I started with pornography at a very young age, with me, it was either the one or the other. When I was like really into porn, then I would drug less. But then when I was into the drugs, then the porn would take the backseat. Mm. And then eventually, as I got older, by the time I eventually landed up in, in Sunnyside, living in a small little room, ending up on the street, it was like everything, porn, drinking, drugs, mm. everything together. So after a couple of years, there's no the delta that you're talking about. It's not a question of closing them off anymore. It's just like as you progress, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Mm. And mm. after a while, after a couple of years, there's no more closing them down. It's mm. just new ones that spring up. Sure. Yeah. Like and, a flood. And, and that's what we often call the point of no return. There's, there's nothing you can do it, about it yourself. And as hard as you try and as hard as... Other people try. Um, you just can't stop. So, what happens in the meantime? Yeah. When, at what stage did you get married? Was it like um, while all these things were happening, um, or? Yeah. Well, I, I fell in love just getting out while well, I was my last with standard nine. It was grade eleven. Fell in love with a girl that was a year older than me. Um, uh, I left school at nineteen ninety three. I finished so between ninety five. In 1997, I was working on, on construction, 
drugging, drinking all the time, two attempts on my life was made. Uh, I got locked up for violent behavior and assault. I got arrested a couple of times. I got arrested for destruction of property. I got fired at my work. Um, by the age I was 22, I had more jobs on my CV than I had years on my ID book. <laughs> so I was like a, a, a hurricane going through the town. Mm-hmm. In 1998, I got married. Me and this girl got married. And in 1999, my daughter was born. But I mean, by the time I got married in 1998, she had, had found out that I was addicted. And she thought that she could fix me. Mm. So, you know, we kept on going from the one thing to the other thing. But it was uh, in, in 2000, uh, I got qualified as a, as a computer technician on top of my class. I, I, there's a lot of stuff that I did. Um, but then from there on, for the next 11 years, I, I attended support groups. I landed up three times in the hospital overdosing. Basically from 1999, just after my daughter was born, 2010, I was admitted to six different institutions all over the country. How many? How many? How many institutions? Six. Wow. Mm. So I first went to ELM, went to Nopeworth, I went to Nudelfontein, Baltimore, Seymour, Masterberg, people that have been to Riazwell, they will recognize his name. But that's short-term programs, long-term programs. But longer than yeah, I hear there's, there's an incredible journey and there's something that I want to get back to after the break. Uh, so let's just take a break for a moment and we'll get back to you. 100%. Sure, welcome back, Lo. And uh, yeah, it's good that we are, well, we are talking about very important things. Something that struck me is that you said you ended at top of your class when you did some course. And, um, oh, it was in Tuesday. I think it's still in my class. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's and it top, was in 2000. Yeah, that was on the top of the class, almost at the height of your addiction. And, and what that tells me is that one, a person that is in addiction is not stupid. Mm. And, and very, of, yeah, very often uh, we say in the SAA groups, um, sex addicts or in any addicts, they need to be very smart uh, to try and keep track of all the lies and <laughs> trying to get past the filters, <laughs> going around this corner where there aren't police and so forth. So we, they need to be quite smart um, to sustain their addiction. And uh, so yes. definitely there's not a lack of intelligence mm. because you are addicted. And something also I was thinking, thank you for that point, Frederick, um, because it's very important to just confirm that. And then also you said that you had come to know Jesus many years before. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think sometimes we think as Christians, if we follow Jesus, that will that will protect us from going down these roads and these things wouldn't happen to us. What mm. do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing because what I'm going to say now is going to offend a lot of people. But at the end of the day, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my, we, I, I grew up in a good Christian family with good Christian values. Mm. Um, we went to church. We mm. did everything that we were supposed to do. The problem is when I got saved, um, in the same year that I got saved, I was, I was 16 and I started asking questions about um, baptism and about um, things that I didn't understand because I went back to my church because I grew up in the in the, in the angel church. Mm. And I went and I asked the the, the only, but I, uh, am I supposed to get baptized now? Because Jesus got baptized. And mm. he said, no, don't worry about it. You already baptized when you were little. I said, but I couldn't believe when I was born. Right. So now I'm confused here. Mm. So he said, no, 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 you must just believe. You must just believe. And I was like, no, this is not. Then I went to 
the, the IFM pastor, and I went around asking questions in church, and the church couldn't answer me. Mm. They couldn't give me the answers that I was looking for. Mm. I went to different pastors, I went to different domains, and they didn't know what to answer me. I wasn't mm. satisfied. You came back to the thing saying that uh, addicts are highly intelligent. They are. At the heart of my addiction, I had 20 different, 28 different identities when I went to. Um, to, to chemists and stuff, to keep mm. track of my stuff. So, so they couldn't answer me. And, and and I felt that somehow the church had let me down. And I was also, I got so radically saved that me and a friend of mine used to go to school with our Bibles and we started preaching to people. The problem was you can't beat people up on Monday and then preach to them on Friday. Mm. That doesn't make false and preaching. Mm. So I got turned around completely. I read the Bible in three and a half months wow. from Genesis to the Maps. And I was I was confused. I was completely confounded, but I was excited, mm. and I started praying because people started mocking me. So it was the same cycle yeah. as what happened when I was little, when I was being physically bullied. Now I'm being verbally abused because of the fact that I'm not all of a sudden this big Christian. Mm. Stop smoking, stop drinking, stop doing anything. Yeah. And then there was one point where I started praying and I asked God to kill my enemies, like David, like you know, mm. burn them with fire, yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And God doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I was offended. Mm-hmm. I was like, but God, God is not coming to the party. <laughs> so I think that this Christian thing is not working for me and my children. Mm-hmm. We decided to uh, we'll become Satanists. Wow. Mm-hmm. It really so, sounds so like a... from being radically safe to being radically lost. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it, it sounds like the the challenges is it's not really the relationship with Jesus that let you down. But it's the it's the things that happened and the unanswered questions and uh, mm. what you receive from people who professed to be in faith and in relationship with Jesus. It's actually a lack of discipleship, exactly. right? It sounds yeah. like that. But so just tell us a little bit about the Satanism. I'm, 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 I missed it when you mentioned it earlier. Um, and when did you get out of it or how did where did that play in come into play? That was a, that was a, that was something that happened over the span of a year. And yeah, that is also good. If I could start telling you about all the miracles that have happened in my life, would be here for the rest of the time. Yeah. It, 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 it happened. There was a couple of things that went down. And the one evening we were busy with um, some kind of ritual that a passed us to, to, to not get into too much detail. And it's the first time in, it's the first time in my life that I saw an angel. I know that I saw an angel, mm-hmm. but it was like a part of an angel that I saw. It was the biggest fright that I ever got in my life. I saw foot the size of a house that was standing next to me, and a light had shone upon us while we were busy at his gate. But only caught me three blocks later. After that encounter, it was it was a period of maybe 12 months that I was involved with the encounter that was doing these things. But it was after that encounter that I realized it's like there was always something inside of me that that led me back to that true north part of saying that you know, actually you know that God is going to answer. Mm-hmm. And that there's nothing stronger than the blood of Jesus and mm-hmm. wow. God the Father. So by because the time... it was always like this power struggle. I wanted to um, have power. That's the reason why we decided that let's leave this Christian thing. Because there was this power thing. There was this power hunger because of the fact that we never fitted in any way. We were rejected mm-hmm. everywhere we went. We had to make our own group because we didn't fit into any other group. Yeah. Um, and, and we were 16 years old, man. We didn't mm. understand anything. And the church didn't answer. Okay. So it was like you had to make your own way. Mm. Hello? 
your, it sounds like you had a very, very difficult journey. What brought you to the point of having real change? Um, what were the things that were, came into place uh, to start a real path of change? Well, like I said, I was in two different institutions over a period of 11 years. But there came a time in uh, the winter of 2013. Um, I was in Sunnyside. I was experimenting with all kinds of drugs. And I was really at the end of my life. Mm. I prayed and it felt like God didn't hear me. I was praying, but it felt like I was forsaken, forgotten. There was nothing left. Mm. My family basically ripped me off. Nobody had contact with me. It was only my mom and my sister that still had contact with me. Um, and then something happened. A guy that I've met eight years before uh, called Derek Cromer, he found me from uh, a place called Jericho Recovery Center in mm-hmm. the state. And in late September, through a miraculous sequence of events, they came and they fetched me and they took me to the mountains. And I went to Jericho Recovery Center and I stayed there for, for three years. I basically did a um, I did a one-year course, then I did a one-year volunteer course, and then I stayed for another year as a, as a staff member. That's also where I um, got ordained as a pastor, and I did my bachelor's degree in counseling. Um, but the process changed came when my belief system changed, mm. when I started understanding um, the difference between God's love and God's will. Mm. So there was, a, there was a progressive change, but that progressive change took about took three years. Mm. And I had a mentor that walked the road with me, that showed me that m- many of the things in my life that had gone wrong was because of unrealistic expectations. Mm. Like mm. you said just now, it wasn't so much the, the relationship with Jesus that let me down. Jesus never lets us down. Mm. God never lets us down. It's our expectation of what we think and understand and believe what God is supposed to do. Mm. Mm. But you see, God is not obligated to finish what you start. God is obligated to finish what he starts. Mm. And he always finishes what he starts. Yes. So many times people begin things and they expect God to do something and just put his stamp of approval on it, but he doesn't because God is true to his word, mm. not to your emotions or your plans. Mm. So that whole process of understanding that I can only have hope once I have a revelation of God's love. And in God's love and in my heart is where I find my faith. That process took three years for me to get there. And that's when I started changing. Mm. Because my belief system about God, about myself, mm. about my self-worth, about uh, the reasons about why Jesus died for me. You know, we get taught when you're little, Jesus died for me, Jesus died for me. But you don't really understand mm. what Jesus did when he died for me. Amen. Um, I, just wanna, I, I just want to come in taught. there. The, exactly. Because that's what we said in the previous program when we spoke about recovery, about the renewal of the mind. And that's literally with a mentor and this process, your mind at been renewed through the through scripture and through uh, changing your belief system, which is absolutely important. So, how long have you been sober now? This year, eight years. Twenty sixth of September, it will be eight years. Wow! Mm. Wow! Mm. So, um, what do you think? And we we need to wrap up now, so we need to just quickly answer this one: is a non negotiable part of your recovery? Uh, yeah, I would say. I have a lot in my life. I break it down to six quick points, and I call it CHAC. T-R-A-C-K. Um, that's unnegotiable. Mm-hmm. T is for transparency. Mm-hmm. R is for responsibility. A is for accountability. 
C is for consistency, and K is for kingdom mindset. Mm. As for a what? So what king, a kingdom, a kingdom mindset. mindset. For yeah. A kingdom mindset. Mm. Yes. Uh, Romans 12 is says, Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be Amen. transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. In Galatians, it says that we are being regenerated by the washing of the water through the word. Yes. That your mind is set on the things of the kingdom. Perfect. So there cannot be any change. There cannot be any recovery unless you have transparency, responsibility, accountability. And you consistently make the right choices, but you are led by kingdom mindset. Amen. Is, I think on this point, beautiful. On this point, we're going to stop and just leave it there. And then in the next program, you can tell us more about that and also more about uh, the recovery center where you are part of. So listeners, be sure to tune in again next week. And um, remember, if you missed last week's program, get it on podcast. It's an introduction of the topic of recovery and long-term recovery and all the different phases part of that. Um, thank you, Lo. It's been wonderful to listen to you. We're looking forward to uh, talk to you again next week. Yeah, see you next week, Lo, and all our listeners. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.